0: Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware. We have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit. But frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Ellen, the reason this podcast exists. And I'm Katie. The one who is literally getting dragged along for the ride. Though I
1: honestly couldn't do it without you. Aww. I honestly wouldn't want to be dragged by anyone
0: else. Aww, stop. Go on. (laughs) I will go on. Right into the rolling rehash. Before you do that, we do want to mention that the audio might sound a little weird on this episode. Little bit. We're both quarantined, so we're doing our record over Skype. Yes. So, just... Bear with us if it does sound sort of strange at times. Keeping
1: that social distancing going. Yeah. Because you have to. Crazy times. Yep. But I'm going to social distance myself right back into the rolling rehash, if you don't mind. (laughs) Go for it. Last week, we discussed Chapter 4, At Flourish and Blots, and the corresponding film scenes. Errol needs flying lessons. Harry needs elocution lessons. Molly needs a cold shower. Hermione needs to stop stealing lines. Lucius needs a red-headed beatdown, Draco needs to be a dick just like Daddy, and Lockhart needs all the attention. But despite Kenneth Branagh's excellent performance,
0: the Oscar for Best Actor goes to Percy Weasley's hair. During episode 22, Bedhead and Broomsticks, our Potter pondering was, if you could travel by flu powder, would you? Why or why not? Quincy says that motion sickness sucks, so no. Yeah, I feel like there's a really good chance that flu powder would give me motion sickness too, but I'd have to try it at least once. Mm -hmm. Carly obviously doesn't experience motion sickness because she said, oh yes, it'd be like a roller coaster every time you go visit someone. (laughs) So I don't think she experiences motion sickness. But she also said that it seems stressful, but you can go anywhere.
1: Alice is also
0: on the yay side of traveling by flu powder because of how much time it would save,
1: which I'm I'm a fan of saving time, so I get that.
0: Yeah, it'd be so much easier if you could just flu powder yourself here, right, for recording, right? Exactly. Obviously, we can't can't do that right now, but yeah, in the future, Andy is pro flu powder too. He says, absolutely, I would try all modes of magical relocation.
1: Yeah, overall, it seemed like a fairly even split. A lot of people
0: said that they would prefer to use brooms or apparate. I actually have the same concern about apparition, because the way the books described it, I'm not convinced that that wouldn't cause me motion sickness, too. Right, well, I mean, Dumbledore tells Harry that he like, most people vomit on their first time right. apparating. So, and, and like, Harry was not a fan of it. He said he preferred brooms, so... Yeah. But, but, I mean, for convenience sake, I guess it it is a lot simpler, and if you don't have good balance for a broom... Right. Or, like, a lot of people pointed out that they don't have fireplaces to use, so even if they wanted to use flu powder, they couldn't. hmm And the, as though, therefore, if you couldn't use flu powder, you could apparate. And I hadn't really thought about that, because I don't have a fireplace, so... I fall into that category. Yeah, my fireplace is like blocked off
1: because I found out it was actually a super big fire hazard when we moved in. So we can't have a fire in
0: it. So I was like, okay, well, I'd rather not let bugs in there. So we just blocked it off. You could have gotten an eclectic fireplace like the Dursleys. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> remember, how, remember how he said it was electric? Yeah. And that's how, that's how Arthur will talk about that in a future
1: episode. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, we also had quite a few people say that they were worried they would misspeak like Harry did and end up in the wrong place.
0: Yeah. We wouldn't have to worry about that. We never misspeak. Never. (laughs) That was creepy.
1: Yeah. It was. But we never
0: misspeak at all, ever. Or I just edit the shit out of it. Literally, I edit the shit out. Well, not literally. And kind of literally. I just mean it's not literal shit. It's figurative shit. And sometimes hilarious shit. Stay tuned at the end of this episode for a ridiculous blooper moment.
1: (laughs) Yeah, recording while quarantine gets us a little bit slap happy. (laughs) Just a little. Just a little. But let's just keep rolling. Our trivia question last week was... What is the year, make, and model of the Weasleys' flying car? The Weasleys have a turquoise 1962 Ford Anglia 105E that Arthur told Molly he took apart to figure out, quote, how it worked, when really he was enchanting it to fly. (laughs) This technically isn't illegal, though, because he never intended
0: to fly it. So he says. So he says. Mm Mm-hmm. Sure. (laughs) I don't know that I believe you, Arthur. But anyways, congratulations goes to Quincy, who was the first person to answer with the completely right answer. Though we do want to give a shout out to Alice for being the actual first person to answer. She was just a few years off of the year of the car, saying 1959 instead of 1962.
1: Yeah, Dave came to her defense saying that when you Google it, one of the things that comes up was that the Weasley's car was inspired by a
0: 1959 Ford Anglia, so he had assumed she was right. Yeah, we got the idea for the question out of a Harry Potter magazine I'd bought from Costco a while back, which published that the car specifically used was the 1962 Ford Anglia 105E. And if you Google the question exactly as we asked it, that is the answer that comes up. So, like we said, we were trying to make the trivia question harder and mission accomplished. Yeah, and I guess if you aren't sure of the correct answer, then Google at your own risk. But props to Quincy, Alice, and Dave for being ready to respond so fast. I can't wait to see who answers this week's. Let's just keep rolling into Chapter 5, The Whomping Willow, and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 5, The Whomping Willow. Too soon, the end of summer came. Harry is looking forward to going back to Hogwarts, but his month with the Weasleys had been the happiest of his life. Their last night, they had a huge, amazing meal. Fred and George set off fireworks, then everyone had one last mug of hot chocolate before bed. The next morning was very chaotic. They managed to get everything loaded into the blue Ford Anglia, which Mr. Weasley had secretly magically expanded to fit everyone and their things. They all pile into the car, but don't make it very far, because George forgot his fireworks, Fred forgot his broom, and Ginny forgot her diary. Despite running very late, Mrs. Weasley still refuses to let Arthur fly the car there. By the time they actually make it to King's Cross Station, they only have five minutes to catch the train. Everyone rushes through the barrier, leaving Harry and Ron to go through last, with only a minute to spare. They speed towards it and then crash right into it. Unable to get through the barrier, they miss the train. Harry suggests they wait by the car, but Ron has a better idea. Fly the car to Hogwarts. They rush back, reload their trunks, and get in. Ron pushes a button to turn the car invisible and they take off. After a few minutes, the car reappears and they both have to hit the invisibility booster again to vanish. They find the train and occasionally dip down to keep an eye on it, following it to Hogwarts. At first, this experience is pretty amazing, but after several hours, they were hot, sweaty, and thirsty. To make matters worse, the car began to make a whining sound. They make it to Hogwarts, but before they can land, the car gives out completely and causes them to fall directly towards a large tree. Ron pulls out his wand and yells for the car to stop, but they crash right into the tree, and Ron's wand breaks. Before they can do anything else, something hit the car, and the two boys realize that the tree is attacking them. The car restarts and backs away from the tree, then ejects Harry, Ron, Hedwig, and all of their belongings, before driving off on its own. Harry and Ron head to the castle and peer into the Great Hall. The sorting has already started, and they notice that Professor Snape is missing from the staff table. They wonder where he is, and unluckily find him right behind them. Snape takes them to his office and lectures them for flying the car, showing them a news article and letting them know that they had been seen. He wants to expel them, but since the decision to do so is not his, he goes to fetch Professor McGonagall. When they return, she asks them to explain themselves. Soon after, Professor Dumbledore arrives and disappointedly asks them for an explanation as well. The boys are sure they are going to be expelled, but are instead given detention. Dumbledore also says that he will write home and that anything else like this and he will have to expel them. Professor McGonagall informs Ron that Ginny was also sorted into Gryffindor and leaves them with sandwiches and instructions to go straight to Gryffindor Tower when they finish eating. They eat and wonder why they couldn't get through the barrier, then head to the common room. Hermione finds them outside the portrait hole and asks them about the rumors going around. They tell her they did fly there, but they weren't expelled, and she scolds them. They all enter the common room, and the other Gryffindors are super impressed with Harry and Ron for arriving in a flying car, though Percy is headed their way and does not look pleased. To avoid him, they rush upstairs to their dormitory, where they are greeted by Seamus, Dean, and Neville, who are all quite awestruck.
1: In the movie, the Weasleys and Harry arrive at King's Cross Station at 10.58 with only two minutes to get onto the platform. Everyone goes through the barrier between 9 and 10, leaving Harry and Ron to go through last. They run toward it with their carts, crash right into it, and get yelled at by the station guard. Harry stammers that they lost control of the trolley and then asks Ron why they can't get through as the clock strikes 11. Ron worries that his parents won't be able to get back through, and Harry suggests that they wait by the car. Ron says the car and the scene transitions to the car lifting off in broad daylight to the astonishment of several muggles harry points out that muggles aren't used to flying cars and ron pushes a button causing the car to disappear over the city the city fades to clouds and rolling hills and the car reappears ron pushes the button again and when nothing happens he says the invisibility booster must be faulty Harry says they need to go lower to find the train, and Ron steers the car lower so they are flying directly above the tracks. They figure they can't be far behind, hear a train whistle, and realize the train is coming up fast behind them. They scream and Ron manages to jerk the wheel to the side to dodge the train just in time. The car flips around a few times and Harry's door opens, causing him to tumble out, hanging onto the handle for dear life. Ron leans over and tries to grab Harry by the hand but has trouble holding on because his own hand is sweaty. He manages to get a hold of him and pull him back into the car. They fly the rest of the way to Hogwarts. As they approach the castle, the car begins to make awful noises and lurch about. The car stops working completely and they start to plummet, heading straight toward a tree. Ron grabs his wand and taps it on the steering wheel, telling the car to stop. The wand snaps in two, and the car crashes into the tree, which magically moves on its own and gives them quite a beating before knocking them through the branches and hitting the ground. As the tree is about to pummel them again, Ron manages to drive the car out of its reach. The car forcibly ejects them, Hedwig, and all their luggage from the vehicle. Then it drives off on its own, into the Forbidden Forest, and Ron says his dad is going to kill him. As Harry and Ron leave their luggage in the corridor with everyone else's, Harry lists off the weird things that have happened. A house elf in his bedroom, being blocked from Platform 9 and 3 quarters, and being nearly killed by a tree. He comes to the conclusion that someone clearly doesn't want him at Hogwarts this year. The two then run into Filch, who tells them to take a good look because it could well be the last time they get to see the castle, and telling them that they are in trouble. We cut to Professor Snape's office, where he is showing Ron and Harry a newspaper article and telling them the flying car was seen by no less than seven muggles. He is lecturing them about the seriousness of the situation, risking exposing magic to muggles and damaging the Womping Willow Tree. Ron tries to point out that it did more damage to them, but Snape won't hear it. He wants them expelled and says that if they were in his house, they would be. Professor Dumbledore shows up and points out that they are not. Snape begins to tell Dumbledore of the boys' crimes, but he cuts them off and reminds him that it is Professor McGonagall's decision how to punish them. Ron assumes they are still about to get expelled, but instead McGonagall gives them detention and admonishes them for the seriousness of their misbehavior.
0: For this section, due to the usual streamlining, added drama, and other minor omissions, the book and the movie once again stay close to one another but do have some differences. In the book, the chapter starts out the night before they all go back to Hogwarts, where they have an amazing meal of all of Harry's favorite foods, a fireworks display by Fred and George, then a last mug of hot chocolate and bed. The next morning, everyone is in a frantic panic, running late and forgetting things. This includes a super subtle bit of foreshadowing when Jenny shrieks that she forgot her diary and they have to turn the car around to get it.
1: Yeah, imagine how different the story would have been if they had refused to turn the car around.
0: Right? (laughs) We will talk more about that later on. For now, when they finally make it to King's Cross Station, they barely have five minutes to catch the train. Yeah, this part is where the movie actually starts. They're all running in a panic towards
1: Platform 9 and 3 quarters because it's 10.58, which only gives them two minutes to spare, not the whole five minutes
0: the book gave them there's some of that added drama we were talking about. Because to only have two minutes makes five minutes seem like a lifetime. hmm But the two continue on pretty much the same. Everyone else goes through the barrier, leaving Harry and Ron last. Side note, though. Is it odd that Molly and
1: Arthur just let every single one of their kids go through the barrier before them, and then are just kind of like, eh, fuck it, we'll get to Harry and Ron
0: later? Like... I thought that, too. I mean, obviously, it would have completely changed the story if they got blocked from the barrier with Mr. and Mrs. Weasley there with them. So, for the sake of the plot, we just have to accept that Molly and Arthur don't care about their youngest son or his friend. You know,
1: the one who's making a habit out of getting attacked by Voldemort and all? Right. I'm
0: sure they'll be fine. He survived the first two attacks. Odds are, he'll survive the next one, too. (laughs) But anyways... (laughs) Ignoring all this, so Harry and Ron are the last ones through the barrier. We see them speed towards it and crash. Ron's somersault over that trolley is just brilliant. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Harry's fall was funny. Ron's flip was comedic gold. Right. Especially when the cart just topples with him.
1: <laughs> Classic Ron. The movie also does add a little bit where the station guard yells at them. And it's the same guy from the first movie, too.
0: Yeah. His name is Harry Taylor. From what I can tell on IMDb, he's been a driver for actors in a lot of movies, often for Tim Burton and Helena Bonham Carter. So he's also gotten to appear in a lot of those films as well. Well, that's fun. We didn't even think to talk about him during The Sorcerer's Stone. Right? I feel kind of bad. But we've talked about him now, so let's just keep rolling.
1: Yes, indeed. In the movie, Harry asks why they can't get through the barrier, and Ron says he doesn't know and puts his hand on the bricks, saying the gateway has sealed itself or something. And then Harry puts his hand up there, too, you know, just to confirm that it's solid. Thanks for that, Harry. Real good detective work there.
0: (laughs) Obviously, crashing into it didn't make it clear enough. Right. But they end up missing the train, and Harry suggests they wait by the car, which gives Ron a better idea. They can just take the car to Hogwarts. All right,
1: you can practically just see the light bulb
0: go off over Ron's head in the movie when he says, The car! (laughs) Right? I love it. So they both head back to the car and reload their trunks and whatnot. In the book, Ron turns the car invisible before they take off flying. But the invisibility booster is faulty and the car reappears for a bit.
1: And in the movie, Ron just takes off flying and Harry has to tell him that muggles aren't accustomed to flying cars. And then he hits the button, because, duh. But the invisibility booster does go faulty in the movie just later on.
0: Yeah, the next part is pretty much one of the biggest examples we've seen so far of the movie dramatizing things. Because in the book, the worst thing to happen to Ron and Harry before they arrive at Hogwarts is that they get a little sweaty and thirsty. And... Anytime I think of someone sweaty, it makes me think of one of my kindergartners back when I was teaching in Tennessee. He was complaining about it being too hot outside and wanting to go inside saying, it's hot. I'm sweaty. (laughs) I'm sweaty.
1: (laughs) I'm sweaty. That's fun. (laughs) There was some sweatiness in the movie. However, it goes far beyond that. It has them dip the car lower to try and find the train and they can hear it. They must be getting close. And then the train ends up being right behind them. Gasp! (laughs) Then you have the cheesy addition of Hedwig's eyes widening. Which is just so realistic. Mm -hmm. But Ron has to jerk the wheel to the side to dodge the train, and then somehow Harry's car door just, you know, opens on its own.
0: I mean, the car is a 1962 Ford Anglia 105E. Maybe the door latch is just faulty after all these years. Just like the invisibility booster. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Also, Harry decides without the danger of crashing in midair, that he doesn't really need a seatbelt, so he falls right out of the car, just managing to grab
0: the handle before he plunges to the ground. And once again, Harry has no problem putting on his sassy pants when in peril, calling Ron out for his shreddy hand. (laughs) (laughs) He's (laughs) shreddy.
1: Despite the sweaty hand, Ron manages to pull Harry back into the car and
0: then they make it the rest of the way to Hogwarts. At this point, the book and the movie line back up fairly well. The car starts making noises and lurching about before the engine shuts off and they just plummet towards a giant willow tree. Yeah, and Ron pulls out his wand and starts tapping it on the steering wheel, telling the car to stop, stop, stop. What does Ron think is going to happen? Telling the car to stop midair? Is he just hoping gravity suspends and they just hang there? Well, I mean, Hermione isn't with them, so Ron isn't exactly full of great ideas. Obviously. 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 Because stop, stop, stop not only doesn't work, it breaks his wand. And then they crash into the tree.
1: The movie had Ron's line basically word for word when he looks at his broken wand. My wand! Look at my wand! And Rupert Grint's delivery is, as always, amazing. Like, that squeaky voice just kills me. I love it.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's not how I heard it in my head when I read the book, but it was so much better. And this is one of those instances that we were talking about in the last episode, How Mm -hmm. he really starts to harness that squeak for comedic effect.
1: Yeah, for sure. The movie also added in some sass from Harry in the form of, be thankful
0: it's not your neck. Yeah, in the book, he started to say that he was sure they'd be able to mend it back at the school. But before he can, the tree starts pummeling them. Because, of course, they hit a tree that hits back. Well, of course. Then we get
1: Ron's high-pitched squeak of, what's happening?
0: And... (laughs) Once, once again,
1: Rupert's delivery is phenomenal. I mean, his facial expressions are amazing. I just love
0: them. Oh, yeah. And I love him. Faces and voices. He does them both so well. Mm-hmm. So another slight difference is that in the book, the car hits the tree and immediately drops to the ground where the tree begins to hammer them with its branches. The movie has the car get stuck in the tree.
1: And after a good tree beating, the car eventually falls to the ground, at which point it magically restarts and backs out of reach before basically the whole
0: tree comes down on them. A tree beating or a treating?
1: Are you fucking kidding me?
0: Nope. It's a really good thing the car moved out of the way because they were almost tree cafetated. Alright, you know what? Get out. <laughs> this is my house. Plus, we're on Skype. Fine. End call. Or we could just keep rolling. Fine. Just keep rolling. Knock that shit off. <laughs> so the car gets out of reach and then ejects Harry, Ron, headwork, and all of their stuff. Then drives off on its own.
1: Yeah, the invisibility booster and passenger door latch may be faulty, but
0: that ejector seat works just fucking fine. <laughs> At this point, the movie deviates from the book a little. Because in the book, they sneak into the castle and peer through the great hall door. They see that the sorting has already started and that Snape is conspicuously missing from the staff table. They start speculating about why he was missing, gleefully hoping he's ill or thinking that he's been sacked or quit since he still hasn't gotten the defense against the dark arts job. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then who shows up right behind them? Severus Snape.
1: Awkward. Right? Yeah, honestly. The the movie has them head into the castle with Harry listing all the weird shit that's been happening to him over the summer and coming to the conclusion that clearly someone doesn't want me here this year. Like, no shit. Really? Like, what was your first hint?
0: Honestly. (laughs) But then they run right into Filch and Mrs. Norris. Mrs. Norris and her extremely red eyes. They gave her Voldemort's eyes.
1: Right? Honestly, those were the eyes I was expecting for Voldemort. Like, completely. They're so red. Yeah. I love them. It's kind of creepy that they're on a cat, but whatever. But Filch tells them that they should take a good look around because it could well be the last time they see the castle. And then the movie. In Castle. Hmm, dear, we are in trouble. In trouble. you can't talk about filch and not do the filch voice right (laughs) um apparently but let's just keep it let's let's keep on rolling then the movie cuts to snape's office where snape is giving them a good telling off about the flying car apparently they were seen by no less than seven muggles they actually use the number seven in a movie right seriously Snape also mentions the damage done to the Whomping Willow, and Ron tries to say
0: that it did more damage to them, but Snape won't hear it and just wants them expelled. In the book, he goes to fetch Professor McGonagall so she can expel them, and then Dumbledore shows up not long after. In the movie, they both show up as Snape is still lecturing Harry and Ron.
1: How relieved could they have been, though, when they saw McGonagall? Like, especially when she's got her Smackdown face on.
0: (laughs) Though, all things considered, this wasn't near as severe of a student Smackdown. Well, yeah, it didn't get her out of bed, so. That's a very good point. Mm-hmm. We did learn that you just don't get Minerva McGonagall out of bed. No. And it's, that's lucky for wants her them. her sleep. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's lucky for them. In both, Dumbledore impresses the seriousness of the situation on them, and they assume that they're going to be expelled. But instead, they both get detention and a letter home. Dumbledore does say that if they ever do anything like that again, he will have to expel them. But all in all, they get off pretty light. In the book, Harry even convinces McGonagall not to take points away from Gryffindor since the term hadn't technically started yet. And he swears that she very nearly smiles. Yeah, loss of points isn't even brought up in the
1: movie. The scene actually ends right there. Though there is a deleted scene where Harry finds a letter of
0: Filch's about a quick spell course. Harry does find that letter later in the book in a completely different situation. Well, not completely different. He was still getting into trouble in that scene, too. (laughs) But we'll talk more about it then.
1: Yeah, he does that a lot. I'm sensing a pattern here.
0: Getting into trouble? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. The book continues on to have McGonagall confirm that Ginny was sorted into Gryffindor and conjure sandwiches for Harry and Ron to eat in Snape's office. They then return to their common room, where they are greeted by all the awestruck Gryffindors, minus Hermione, who lectures them, and Percy, who is clearly geared up to give them an earful, before they slip away up to their dormitory and receive a last little bit of admiration from Neville, Seamus, and Dean. There is a little part, too, where Ron and Harry both kind of feel guilty about how pleased they are with all the attention that they got. Mm Mm-hmm. They mention that in the book as well. That's the end of the chapter.
1: That doesn't happen in the movie. Shockingly enough, something was actually left out of the movie that was in the book. What? No. I know. Crazy talk. It's almost like they didn't do a word for word. Page for page, chapter by chapter. No. Shot for shot, scene for scene. What? This is news to me. I thought we were just talking about two of the same thing
0: in this podcast. Apparently not. Apparently, they're two totally different podcast episodes would be like, well, here's chapter one. This was the book. This was the movie. Exactly the same. Well done. End episode. (laughs) (laughs) Which for these first two movies, it's been relatively close to that. I will say that much. And they have been doing a pretty good job. But Mm -hmm. we would still be able to talk about the actors. True. And how they bring the characters to life, such as the actors in this scene.
1: Yeah, actor-wise, in addition to Harry Taylor, who we mentioned earlier playing the station guard, maybe a little bit, uh, oh shit, what's that word? Maybe a little bit typecast. I don't want to judge, but a little bit. We also get to see David Bradley as
0: Argus Filch again for the first time this movie. And we already talked about his Filch voice. Oh my god. Oh dear, we are in trouble. Trouble. It's just so nasally, but it just it's oh, am- it just it's amazing and it's awful it's, but like, it's amazingly is what it is amazely amazingly nasal I, i'm going with it i'm going it's amazing and it's a it's a nasling it's a nasal Na- Na- how did I you like say my, that
1: i like mine better it's a nasing. a nasling <laughs> anyway filch is awesome i mean he's not filch is a dick Filch, Filch no, like, wants No, I'm sorry.
0: David Bradley is awesome because he go. made Filch so hateable. Yeah. There we go. Let's go with that because there's nothing good about Filch. No. That's what but, I'm saying is, like, no
1: yay for Filch, but definite yay for David Bradley because yeah, he, he really brought Filch to life.
0: We were just watching something that he was in, and I can't even remember what it was because while we're in this quarantine, we've watched so many movies. But I was just like, <laughs> oh, look, it's Filch. And, like, Like, he doesn't have a real name anymore. Right. How often do you do that
1: with with Harry Potter characters in other films? Every single time I see them. Every single time. All the time. I know. But he was in that movie that they made about about the first Doctor uh, and Doctor Who. God, I can't remember his name now, but he played him. But it was such a loving role, kind of, and it was really weird for me to see Filch being... Like a like a fun grandpa type.
0: Like, <laughs> yeah. That it's not would necessarily be weird. fun, but yeah, but it was really weird. But that just shows he he has good range, so he does have good range. He's just an incredible actor. And speaking of incredible actors, <sighs> we also see the return of Alan Rickman as Severus Snape. Yes. And like, I mean, we just can't we've already we've already expressed how if they ever remake these movies, they just need to figure out how to resurrect him. Yeah, zombie Snape, for sure. Zombie Snape. but Zombie Snape is the only way to go. It makes me really sad that we didn't have the scene with Snape coming up behind Harry and Ron as they're speculating all of the awful things that happened to him. Because I would have loved to see <laughs> everything about how Alan Rickman would have delivered that. Right. But just the look on his face as he's lecturing them and... Everything mm-hmm. about him and his delivery—he was just Snape. I love him.
1: Yeah, Alan Rickman is just—he's—he's again—he's a lot like David Bradley, where he really brings a lot of gravitas right. to the role. And it was—it's just—he yeah. makes it.
0: He just Angry. makes it.
1: I love yeah. that. Right, and then Richard Harris as Albus Dumbledore, which I know you've said you've
0: had issues with no, the way he mind plays Richard Dumbledore. Harris. Well the way the way th- his the Dumbledore, way Dumbledore was, written. was written in general. Yeah. Yeah. I th- I actually really liked how Richard Harris delivered these lines as Dumbledore because it was how I imagined it in the book. He was just very calm and he sounded disappointed because in- he wasn't. In the book he was not angry. He just mm-hmm. was like very calmly please explain why you did this. Yeah, just and, wait until Harry puts his name in the Goblet of Fire. Right. But <laughs> Harry was they even say in the book that Harry was more bothered by the calm disappointment in his voice than he would have been had he shouted.
1: Well, yeah, that's how that's how parenting works. And so I really
0: liked the way Richard Harris played this. It felt very authentic.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, it felt like he had a lot of real-life practice. You know what Probably. I mean?
0: Probably. Yeah. <laughs> but he's always just wonderful. It would, fun. I really wish, I, I know this is way jumping ahead, but I really wish we could have seen him do more with Dumbledore I wish that he could have gone beyond this film
1: yeah although I do agree I, I think that not so much in the case of this film but for the sake of future films I do think the way that they characterized him in the first two films he was a little bit frail like he seemed yeah. a little frail that I don't know that that particular characterization would have held up
0: well it's I mean going into later books knowing knowing we we know know. but in the fourth book is the first time that Harry really ever gets an inkling of why they say that Dumbledore is the only wizard that Voldemort fears so I I feel Mm -hmm. like it's not something that he just exudes it's something that he harnesses when he needs to and I feel like that is that is something I could see Richard Harris pulling off but it's a moot point. So we'll end up talking yeah, a lot more facts. about the changes in Dumbledore as we go on with this. Uh-huh. The last actor, actress, that we saw during this scene was Maggie Smith as Minerva McGonagall. And of course, Queen, we love her. Oh, I love Maggie Smith. I, I really wish that we could have had more of her lines, ta- like especially like having harry asks her not to take the points away Mm because technically the term hasn't started yet i just feel like she could have played that so well and i wish we could have seen it
1: yeah there's a lot of moments that maggie smith did not get to shine as she was supposed to
0: but there's a lot of moments where she did get to shine facts we will be talking more about those but she did she again she did bring that student smackdown Mm -hmm. in this scene but I, I do think we could leave severe off. Yeah, it wasn't. It was just student smackdown.
1: Oh yeah, I just love. I do love the way that like, when Ron's all scared that she's gonna expel him, and she's just like, "Not today, Mister Weasley." Like, right? Oh, I just love her that accent It
0: is just amazing. Just it's every, so perfect.
1: Yeah, everything about her voice and just there's something so. I, I McGonagall almost, about it? <laughs> yes, there's something so McGonagall, but there's something so... I almost want to... like. This is going to sound really weird. She makes me feel at home.
0: I don't know why. It's just something about her voice. Just I'm like, telling you, she's teacher goals for me. Yeah. She's teacher goals. Love her.
1: Ah, uh, McGonagall. But that brings us to this week's Potter Pondering, which is... What do you think about Molly and Arthur going through the barrier before Ron and Harry and just leaving the bitches to fend for themselves?
0: Right? I mean, like we said, we obviously know that for the sake of the plot, that's how they had to do it. Yeah, But do you guys have any theories about why they would have or just opinions as to that happening? Did it jump out at you like it jumped out at us? Let us yeah. know. We will make a post about this on the Facebook page.
1: I'm wondering, what do you, how long do you think it took for them to figure out that Harry and Ron weren't there, too? Right. Was it
0: just, like, immediate?
1: Like, well, they were right behind us. We know they're right behind us. Or were they in such a hurry with Ginny trying to get her on the train with only, you know, two minutes to spare? Right that maybe they didn't
0: realize for quite a while even if somebody is feeling extra creative during this quarantine because who knows how long it's going to go on please give us a scenario of what you think happened between molly and arthur just write, a, oh, hell write yeah. us I a would, little short I, story <laughs> i would love some fan fiction about
1: molly and arthur's reaction realization to the car yeah, being re-
0: gone and
1: Imagine that one up for us, please. Were they able to get back into King's Cross onto the platform? You know, if it was closed one way, could they come back through? And was was it only ideas. closed to Harry and Ron? Could anybody else have gone through if it wasn't Harry and Ron?
0: You know, did Dobby make it specific? You have like 17 Potter ponderings to answer for us. So You do. Get on it, guys. Get on it. That will bring us to this week's sorting hat story, which is from my very own husband, Len Ganley. He's a good guy. I like him. You just I keep him, him around. Yeah. Yes, but just let me read this to you, and you're going to see why I do. He writes I am a muggle. As far as Hogwarts houses go, I most identify with Ravenclaw, though to be honest, I never eagerly awaited my letter from Hogwarts because I didn't know there was a place called Hogwarts. I didn't know that it sent letters to lucky little witches and wizards, and I most certainly didn't know that the magic was real. My wand, had they given me a wand, would have been made of larchwood with a unicorn hair core, 13 thirteen and a half inches, with a slightly springy flexibility. But I have no idea what any of that means, including the bit about larchwood, because I am a muggle. Side note: Why, if Ollivander's is in England, does he measure his wands in inches and not centimeters? Where was I? Oh yes, I am a muggle, but my wife is a witch. Under normal circumstances, with regards to my muggle world, this would be grounds for an argument. But, since I am no longer living only in a muggle world, I feel I'm safe in mentioning it. Ellen was my gateway into the brilliant, magical, mysterious, maniac world, birthed from the brilliance of J.K. Rowling. Which of the movies had I seen? Uh, how many are there? Oh, there's way more than two? So, we watched the movies. Which of the books had I read? Well, I'm more of a Douglas Adams fan, so we spent the next several dozen road trips listening to the diverse yet dulcet dialects of Jim Dale as he read his way through seven books and literally thousands of various voices. Why, yes, I do like alliteration, why do you ask? (laughs) Finally came our trip to the hallowed Mecca that is the Wizarding World of Harry Potter in Orlando, Florida. It's one thing to tell a muggle that you're a witch and to let him read a spell book or two. It's completely another to walk them down the frickin' middle of Diagon frickin' Alley. It was there that I got it with a capital G, watching not just kids, not just families, but everyone around me sucked into the magic of the place. This isn't a book series. It's not a web page that finds clever ways of telling you what you already know about yourself. It's a community. The magic of Harry Potter is how it springs off the pages and spills over into the real world. It's not just a theme park, as cool as hell as that is, but it's the conventions and the cosplay and the trivia nights. It's the online forums where fans will still debate over which Weasley twin was hotter, which is ridiculous because it's totally George. (laughs) (laughs) It's watching as the Just Keep Rolling podcast blossoms into a family of witches and wizards, all of whom bring their own magic. So, my wife is a witch, and I couldn't be happier she dragged this muggle along with her on such a crazy epic adventure. Oh. Oh my god. I just figured out who Jacob and Queedy remind me of. Ah, And that's why I married him. I love that man. You should keep him around a bit, like I said. Yeah, I'm definitely keeping him around. He's good people. He's a good one. Mm-hmm. I'm hugging him right now, even though he's not right here. I'm imagining it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll let you have a moment to do that, and we'll go right to the trivia question this week, which is, what school was Justin Finch Fletchley supposed to go to before he was accepted to Hogwarts? The prize for the first one who responds with a correct answer and the code word hashtag Muggleborn will get a bitch is a witch, motherfucker is a
0: wizard, a Just Keep Rolling, or a Pride sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us. If you are an Apple person, you can do it through the Apple Podcast or iTunes app. If you don't have Apple, you can write a recommendation on our Facebook page. Then email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we will get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it.
1: Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKRPodcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at JustKeepRolling.Podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. If you would like to support us as a patron for extra perks, you can go to Patreon.com slash JustKeepRolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated.
0: And join us next week when we talk about Chapter 6, Gilderoy Lockhart, and the corresponding film scenes.
1: Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm
0: Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just just keep keep rolling. rolling. They rush upstairs to their dormitory, where they are greeted by Seamus.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Seamus.
0: To avoid him, they rush upstairs to their dormitory where they are gre- <laughs> I can't even get through it now. It's the last fucking sentence.
1: <laughs>
0: That's the one we'll get you. Yep. Nope. <laughs> to avoid him, they rush upstairs to their dormitory where. <laughs> <laughs> Shame. You had to imitate me because that's what I keep hearing is you making fun of me. <laughs> <laughs> to avoid him, they rush upstairs to their dormitory where they are greeted by <laughs> <laughs> I got so close. <laughs> oh my god. Thank god we don't
1: do this live. <laughs> if we did this live, you would have just had to go with the Seamus thing. <sighs> <sighs>
0: You just have to go with the shame. Right. <laughs> stop it. I'm never going to stop laughing. Seamus, Dean, and Neville, who are all quite awestruck. Well done. You did it. <laughs> <laughs>